you can't time your life based on what the economy is doing. We're not economic models, we're human beings. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. All right, let's get right into it. Hello, Fishbowl. Uh, My name is Courtney Holloway, and I am one of the managers of recruiting here at Glassdoor. And I am here with Aaron Terezas who is our chief economist. And you can follow us by clicking our profiles notified for future conversations as well. Um, But today we are going to be talking about everything you should know about the December jobs report. Uh, You are absolutely welcome to join the conversation with any questions or comments you have. Um, You can either raise your hand to join the stage or you can send me a direct message by clicking my profile if you'd like to stay a little more anonymous. So why don't we start, Erin, for, for uh, those of us who may not know, what is the jobs report? You know, what, what do you normally see on that? What can you expect? Yeah. Uh, so the jobs report, that's the informal name, uh, what a lot of folks call it. It's actually called the Bureau of Labor Statistics Current Employment uh, Situation Report. Basically, this is the monthly data release that the U.S. government releases to to give us uh, an update on the state of the economy. It has data from the government's surveys about um, of employers of how many jobs they're hiring for, what is the unemployment rate, how many people are outside the labor force. So this is really the one of the, the most widely watched data produced by the, the federal government, and it really gives a, a real-time pulse on the state of the economy. You can see it often. It moves financial markets, Wall Street reacts. Really, anyone who is looking at the economy watches this report. It's published uh, at 8.30 a.m. Eastern on, I think, usually the, the first Friday of the month. Uh, and, and it's a big event. And so is this something that anyone and everyone has access to? Yeah. Again, this is published on the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics website, at that 8.30 kind of Eastern time slot, 5.30 for those of us on, on the West Coast. So it's always a, a fun early morning. And, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of watching it, clicking refresh on the BLS website uh, at, right around that time to, to see what the data are showing. That's awesome. And I think, you know, conversations like this are so important because some of these things may go over our heads a little bit if we're not economists. So I'm really excited, Aaron, to dig into this most recent report with you. So we'd love to, to throw it over to you just to share you know, some key stats from this most recent report. Yeah, the main headline numbers that most economists and market watchers look for in, in this report is the, the headline payroll growth number, how many new payroll jobs were created in each month. And, and just to be clear, that is a number of payroll jobs. So it doesn't include contractors. It doesn't include the number of people who are self-employed. It's just the number of people who are working for for companies, you know, on like a a W-2 arrangement. And coming into this report, coming into today, a lot of the the stream of early data suggested it was going to be a very strong report. It was strong, probably not quite the blowout that had been anticipated going into into this morning. But the U.S. economy basically added 223,000 jobs in December Historically, around 200,000 is, is, is something that we consider good. Anything upward of 200,000 is, is considered good. 
Um, the unemployment rate fell. That was a little bit of a surprise. It had been 3.7%. In November, it fell back down to 3.5%. In December, to put that in context, 3.5% unemployment is the lowest we have seen over this um, this boom uh, over the past year and a half. We saw 3.5% unemployment back in July and September, and those are the lowest numbers we have seen this cycle, even with kind of some headlines about layoffs, unemployment, the unemployment rate fell in December. So again, that was a little bit of a surprise. There was also, I think, a little bit of a silver lining for, for folks who are concerned about inflation. Average hourly earnings slowed. They, they came down to 4.6%. There is so much fear out there that uh, inflation is taking hold of the economy and what that means for, for the economy moving forward. Kind of this slower wage growth is probably a signal that um, you know inflation is not becoming embedded uh, in in the economy, or at least is starting to come back down, um, and, and so I think those are the big three data points that that you know um, really folks seized on. One was the the stronger than expected job growth. The second was that that unexpected dip in the unemployment rate, and then third was the softening of wage growth. So I think you know, and thank you so much for kind of summarizing that. I think you know some of those things were kind of surprising to me, but you know, overall, was this better? You know, than you expected. What what would you say that surprised you or stood out to you about what you saw in this report, Aaron? I think there's a little bit of something for everyone in this report. It, it, you know, if if you're focused on kind of tech layoffs and finance layoffs, which have definitely you know attracted a lot of headlines recently, you maybe kind of could discern this a little bit in in the report if you start to dig into the the more detailed data. But for the most part, the the labor market held up. Um, much stronger than I think a, uh, a lot of folks anticipated. You know, there there have been so many fears that that the labor market was kind of on the cusp of of slowing pretty dramatically. You know, particularly after we had some high profile layoffs in in late October and November and early December, and now even in early January, just this past the the first six days of the month, we we have seen some some big layoffs. For the most part, it looks like kind of workers who are laid off are finding new jobs relatively quickly. There's no guarantee, obviously, that, that that's going to continue indefinitely, um, you know, as, you know, job openings, are, you know, are starting to slow. But for the most part, it, you know, it does seem like the, the labor market is defying gravity despite higher interest rates, despite high consumer price inflation, despite all the things going on in, in our world and our economy right now. Well, I, I think we'd love, <laughs> love to hear that. And one thing I'm curious about, Aaron, is what would you say is, the most important stat, you know, out of this for job seekers and then also for employers? You know, it's hard to say that there's like a, a single most important stat. If you're a job seeker right now, I think it's important to keep in mind that the data really look like we're on a two-track labor market right now. I, I kind of alluded to the industry detail just a moment ago. But, you know, you look at the industries that were hiring most aggressively in December. They were leisure and hospitality, construction, uh, healthcare. Healthcare is obviously a, a perennial um, source of job growth for the U.S. economy. But beyond healthcare, kind of they were primarily sectors that are frontline service work or kind of you know what what we historically called blue collar work, and, and that's really where the job growth came from. There were kind of other sectors, kind of historically white collar sectors, um, skilled knowledge workers, things like professional business services and, and information, those sectors did lose jobs. They, they lost a small number of jobs. Information lost about 5,000 jobs. Uh, business and professional services lost about 6,000 jobs. The bulk of that latter 
category, um, you know, within business and professional services, advertising, advertising lost about 4,000 jobs. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be hard for the next couple of months to, to, to read a whole lot into any single number because there are these very different dynamics happening underneath the hood of the economy. One part of the economy, the less skilled kind of end of the labor market seems to be kind of staying very tight. By contrast, we are seeing very clear signs of weakness at the top of the labor market, at the more skilled end of the labor market. And you do start to see that in some of the other metrics, things like wages, kind of the, the kind of wages. Uh, I talked about headline wages, you know, kind of slowing down to about four and a half percent. Well, the bulk of that slowdown was among professional and business services workers. This, these, these workers are a big part of the economy. It, it accounts for about one in seven jobs nationwide. And so it's not necessarily surprising that, that you know, they drove kind of that, that slowdown in wage growth. Um, again, that, that's a signal that of what's happening at the top of the market. By contrast, if you look at leisure and hospitality, wage growth kind of didn't slow down, you know, in, in that segment. It, it remained um, relatively strong, you know, closer to, to six and a half, seven percent, um, you know, where it's been for, for much of the, the past few months. And if you think about where we're heading in January, you know, we had we did see a number of uh, minimum wage increases across the country. Uh, and so, you know, it's likely that that'll kind of push up um, average wages in leisure and hospitality and, and food service uh, in the next report that, you know, in the January report, when we get that in, in a month's time, hard to read a single data point um, and, and, and summarize. There is, is one other data point that I thought was interesting that I think kind of often gets overlooked, and that is average hours worked. Average hours worked for knowledge workers has, looks like it increased permanently. It looks like it, you know, it's about half an hour per week more than it was before the pandemic. That's a pretty stable relationship. Doesn't look like it's coming down. Doesn't look like it's reverting back toward that pre-pandemic average. Um, and it, it, in general, it looks like knowledge workers are working about half an hour more per week than they were, you know, in, in 2018 and 2019. That adds up. You know, you think about half an hour more per week. You know, over you know 20, 25 million workers. Uh, that's that works out to something like three hundred thousand additional uh, knowledge workers in our economy, just because you know people are working half an hour. And I, I think it's it's curious to ask, kind of, you know, where is that half an hour coming from? Is it is it coming from you know being able to work at home now and, and having shorter commutes? Um, is it you know half an hour you know from just working longer hours? Period. Um, but on average, we are seeing kind of knowledge workers put in more hours than they were, you know, just three or four years ago. And that was, the, you know, what was going to be one of my next questions, Aaron, was, you know, do you think that it has anything to do with being remote? Um, you know, I'm sure, again, like you said, we have we have less commute. We're probably not taking as long of a lunch as we might used to when we were in the office. So I think that's a really interesting point. You know, we are seeing that for for knowledge workers. Not all knowledge workers, though. Um, you know, IT workers have. You know, we we're not seeing kind of that in, in, yeah, increase in, in average hours worked. It, it, it does more. It, it seems more like it's it's business professionals who are working longer hours, not necessarily kind of um, engineers or, or classic tech workers. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. One, you know, kind of question in the in the meantime, Aaron, you mentioned you know the jobs lost in in several industries. So do you think that this means there are more layoffs coming specifically, you know, in the in the tech industry? We know that there were more layoffs since this jobs report 
kind of was, you know, the data for the Shabbos report were, were collected. The data really roughly correspond to the middle of December. And so, you know, they are a couple of weeks stale at this point. The question of whether or not more layoffs are coming, I think really is going to depend on what happens with interest rates and what happens with consumer spending. Um, so many of the layoffs kind of that we're seeing recently are the result of kind of a more risk averse kind of world where businesses are rethinking kind of the, the bets that they've, they've made, um, ask themselves, is the customer, de- customer demand that I thought was going to be there still going to be there in 2023? Um, and then kind of looking at making those, those bets, I think it's certainly possible. Another area where I, I'm watching for layoffs is in, in some of those kind of uh, more blue-collar sectors. We know that leisure and hospitality demand has been strong as the economy reopened because people are traveling a lot, especially in December. You know, how long can that continue if we are starting to see some softness at the top of the labor market with those white collar workers? Um, obviously, that can't continue indefinitely. Thanks, Aaron. Aaron, a few more questions for you. You know, given that it was a relatively strong report, I'd expect Wall Street to react more negatively than it did. So, what's your read on the market reaction to the jobs data? Yeah, that's a really important question. And I, I think when I last looked about an hour ago, kind of at least the Dow was, you know, up a little bit and then mostly stable after after the jobs report. I think it has to do with those expectations. You know, expectations were so outrageously high. Um, you know, there were some fears based on some some trickles of data that this was really going to be a blowout jobs report. It was not a blowout jobs report. It was a good jobs report, but it was not a blowout jobs report. And I think, you know, Wall Street hopes slash fears, you know, were that, you know, we were going to see really outsized jobs gains. We didn't quite meet that high watermark. And, and so, you know, that means that there's probably, um, it's, it's less bad than we would have otherwise expected. I think there was also that silver lining in the slower wage growth. You know, I think for a long time, we have tended to think about hiring and wages as the same thing. And, and ultimately what the Fed cares about, what, what central bankers care about is inflation, you know, less about hiring. They want the, the jobs market to be stable, but they really want inflation to be low and stable. And if they can get to a world where, you know, hiring is at a, a steady, sustainable pace and inflation is is low and stable, um, I think that, you know, they're more than happy to, to, to get there, you know, without, um, without kind of massive disruption in the labor market question whether or not they can do it. The December data suggests that there is progress in that direction. So I think that's kind of, that's really what drove Wall Street's generally positive reaction to, to, to this morning's data. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. We have Tamara on here who does have a question. Tamara, go ahead. So my question is related to, I've read a few articles recently talking about positions where essentially they're saying that, you know, companies are posting positions that they do need to fill but then due to the uncertainty of the job market, they're actually not hiring. This is also kind of related to a couple of bulls that I'm in. I'm seeing a lot of people who have years of experience, who have master's degrees that said they've, you know, they've applied for like, you know, for tons of jobs and they're not even getting like an initial callback yeah. or an even initial like screening. Yeah, that, that that's a really interesting point. And um, Courtney, I'd, I'd certainly welcome if you have anything to add on to here, given kind of the really rapid shift in, of labor market dynamics, I, I think we are starting to see companies be a little bit more risk averse in their hiring. So they have more options among the applicant pool suddenly. This is not something they've seen in, in quite some time. And so they're able to be um, a little bit choosier in, in who they're kind of responding to. 
Um, and on top of that, they're facing their own uncertainty about their own business prospects. And so it's, it is really a time, I think, in our economy when a lot of businesses are being much more risk averse um, in who they're hiring and what they're hiring for. And so, you know, they, they do want to make sure that they are making kind of good decisions for, for their businesses. The flip side of that is I think that there are some businesses out there who recognize that given the sudden cool down, again, at least in, in some segments of the labor market, there is a lot of exceptional talent out there on the market. For businesses, that's an opportunity to, to scoop up that talent. You know, for job seekers, that means that there is more competition for those, those roles that are still, still hiring for. It, you know, it's a different dynamic than we've seen in a long time. It, it, it won't last forever, um, but it is um, a different dynamic than we've seen in quite some time. Everything you said, Aaron, is is very much true for us here at Glassdoor, and I'm sure a lot of companies. Um, we have very few roles that we are hiring for, and we've seen, um, you know, a much higher volume of applicants than we than we have over the last few months. And so we do have to be more selective. But I think, you know, as recruiters, and I would encourage you, Camera, to use this shameless plug, but check out the companies that you're applying to on Glassdoor. Um, you know, I think we. Candidate experience is incredibly important to most all recruiters. And so, you know, even if, you know, you may not be able to speak with someone for a position, you know, most recruiters hopefully will try and give you the, you know, the best experience possible. So I know it's something that we try and keep in mind if we can't speak with everyone. So providing you a great experience. So um, definitely encourage you to check out and, and do some, you know, research on, on the companies that you're interested in. And hopefully you can see that they've had, you know, good feedback from past candidates. We have Silas, Silas on here. It's kind of a follow-up of a previous question. Um, so I'm I'm one of those people, master's degree and so forth, and 20, 20 plus years experience in IT and all that, and, and not getting a lot of responses. I am seeing requisitions that look like what employers are doing is they're combining multiple roles that once traditionally used to be one role for, like in my world, a, a systems engineer, for example, used to be like a senior system engineer. Now they're looking for a developer and a systems engineer and a manager and, and, and. And I was wondering, if is, is there any correlation there with what the gentleman, and, and sorry, sir, I didn't, see, I, I didn't see your name on the screen here, but what you were saying, sir, in regards to the, the uh, risk averse, are they, and this may be a, a recruiting and question as well is are they combining roles and hope to save money and then i guess kind of a part two question is what and this might be a recruiting question here what does this do to the labor market because you're kind of i guess from a and i've interviewed people over years and all this stuff from it seems like they're creating a pool of people that are not quite as qualified as you hoped if i can say it that way because you're combining multiple roles that used to be traditionally one person did or maybe or maybe two one or one person did two roles but now you're they're doing three and four and the subsequently the salary is less so i know it's kind of a big question i was trying to encapsulate somehow there yeah i mean I, I think kind of the point you raise around um kind of combining different roles really speaks to a productivity kind of hunt. Uh, you know, when you look at what has happened in U.S. businesses over the past year, in general, labor productivity has declined. And so we've seen output per hour. And, you know, there are all sorts of uh, fuzzy ways to measure kind of what people are actually producing. The U.S. government tries in an imperfect way 
And when you look at their their measurements, it looks like output per person per hour has declined for for most of 2022. You know, one productivity declines that you know that means costs go up faster than revenue, and I think that's a lot of the square that a lot of businesses are trying to circle right now. How do you make that that math work out so that it's more sustainable? And in one way that they're trying to do that is kind of get more general purpose folks who you know wear more hats to meet more needs with with a single head. Um, <laughs> that's a productivity push. Um, you do have to worry that that's ultimately going to lead to to longer hours, kind of uh, more burnout, uh, and you know sooner or later the labor market you know will flip back in the other direction. Reputation kind of um, kind of lasts the, the worry is that in pushing for productivity we are seeding the next round of uh, a great resignation or or a surge in job quits yeah, i think kind of that's a little bit of what you're speaking to courtney i don't know if you have anything to add yeah i think it's interesting question you know i think like you mentioned companies are probably looking for where they can find some cost savings and um, if there are maybe positions that are similar um, or maybe there's, you know, a specific software that we can have one person learn that maybe we didn't have that person doing before might be able to, you know, kind of save some money. So I think what I would do, you know, if you are able to have conversations, you know, with these companies, I would say, you know, I always encourage, we always encourage, you know, job seekers, just because you do not meet every single requirement on a role, you should absolutely still apply. Most uh, job seekers may not have every single thing on that list, um, but I think if you can get a conversation with the recruiter, you know, ask them, you know, hey, in my experience, Jira hasn't necessarily been required for this type of role. Is this something that's absolutely required? Is it something that I can learn from or that I can can take a course on and learn? So I think really digging into, you know, what are those absolutely you know requirements, and then what is something that can be coached or can be taught in the position. Um, but I think, um, like Aaron said, I think it is interesting to see, you know, the, the different types of um, kind of requirements and, and jobs that that companies are, you know, kind of combining, like you mentioned. But I think really just tr- don't be afraid to apply to a role, even if you don't have, like I said, all of those requirements. Thank you so much for that. I, I just, just one little snippet to add to this is, is um, my concern is, you know, and again, I've been this for a while, over 20 years. This is going to not only, and I like what you said about, you know, it's going to turn back to, and I hope it really doesn't, but just great resignation move. But it's the client that's really going to get hurt by this. Uh, and I know I'm getting ready to get on the, on the soapbox, not trying to do that. But I, I think the quality of what we offer, and especially speaking to all my fellow technologists out there, is going to go down if I'm being asked to do five roles and I'm really good at two. <laughs> at least at one time. <laughs> so anyway, just food for thought. See here. So one of the questions, uh, Aaron, is there any way to stay stay clear of companies that overhire or seem like they would fire if another recession hits based on last year's report? I think kind of reputation and, and digging into a company's reputation is is all the more important right now than it was a year ago. The reality is, you know, a year ago, you could be on the job market and take a job, and the reality is, if it didn't work out, you know, you you quit in in six months when you realize, you know, the boss is terrible, or it's not a right fit for you, or the skill set's wrong, or or for whatever reason, and you find something pretty easily. 
it seems right now the risks are a little bit higher. You know, you take a job, you may not have an alternative option in six months, a year time. The research is all the more important right now, I think. Obviously, kind of, you know, talking to the recruiter, talking to the hiring manager, obviously kind of, you know, talking to the recruiter, talking to the hiring manager, talking to fishes, kind of, I think that is all the more important right now um, about the reputation. One of the things that that I, I like to look at is is just to go back and, and see kind of what ha- what happened to companies during these periods of, of turmoil. You know, what, how has CEO confidence, um, which is one of the things you can look at on, on Glassdoor, how, how, has, how have employees' confidence in their CEO kind of evolved during these periods of of messy economic times or turmoil or or moments when tough decisions um, have to be made and people re- and companies really show their show their true colors. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's it's um, definitely really important. Like you said, more than ever, I think it's it's you know as much as you can um, look for company and and that will um, you know hopefully not go through layoffs. I think you know do as much research as you can. Uh, one other question we have: What is your outlook on the client services industry? Um, I work in affiliate marketing and clients typically depend on our team to manage their affiliate marketing channels. I'd say kind of uh, a lot of it is going to depend on your particular line of business. And, um, you know, there are nuances in, in your particular industry that, that you'll know better than me. Advertising and marketing um, are some of the sectors where we're starting to see layoffs pick up and kind of hiring really slow Uh those were areas that grew very rapidly over the past couple of years. And so, it, you know, it's kind of natural that you'd see risks start to build up there. So as far as the outlook to there, marketing ultimately is going to depend on either direct consumer or business to business investment. So either consumer spending or direct business and business investment. And those are the big worries for 2023. Can those, can those two things hold up? They might, um, but it's, it's definitely a question. Okay, thanks, Aaron. All right, we have Min. Go ahead and answer your question. Hi, Courtney and Aaron. So um, you probably touched, you know, a little bit about this, but um, I wanted to hear from you. What are the trends, like could be short-term or long-term trends that you are following um, on the job market? I think the, the two big trends that I'm certainly watching are, are one for 2023 to be this two-track labor market for I think we are going to see increasingly it looks like we're seeing a slowdown potentially a worsening slowdown at the at the high end and kind of in the among knowledge workers and skilled workers um, but continued tightness for frontline service workers and and kind of uh, skilled trades so you know the, the sectors of the economy that look poised to continue to be tight are things like construction uh, like um, you know parts of um, Kind of uh, skilled kind of logistics parts of um, you know even food service and um, and and I think obviously healthcare healthcare includes such a range of of types of workers kind of some very highly educated kind of some with less formal education um, and I think kind of those jobs are going to be kind of the the tightest still so I think that's that's trend number one I think trend number two is we're going to going to see more kind of knowledge worker skills spread throughout the economy. So uh, over the past decade, we've seen knowledge workers tend to congregate, um, you know, in a handful of industries, in a handful of markets. Um, and I think kind of we're going to see them diffuse kind of more broadly throughout the economy. You know, I think that's going to have a lot of kind of downstream implications for 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 where the jobs are, kind of what they're paid um, and, and so forth. So I think kind of this is, you know, 
the, the labor market is slowing, but more important, it's changing. I think that's the thing to keep in mind. It's within the slowdown, there is there is a shift and these changes under, underneath the surface. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Aaron. Min, hopefully that answered your question. So we have him men on here as well. So I've been doing a lot of research as far as, um, by the way, I've always commuted to work for the past 20-something years. I'm an LMS um, uh, guru, and I've implemented LMSs for, uh, since 2009. But my question is, I really love remote work. I know that our companies are saving more money every year for remote workers and such uh, of that nature. I'm just wondering, though, um, is remote work, do you think, after the you know post-pandemic era, do you think it's going to phase out eventually? It just seems like to me that there's less like full-time employment remote-wise and more of like contractual work. And I think maybe because organizations are finding that they're saving money that way. So what do you think about that? I do have over 20-something years of experience in the LMS industry. And so I'm just kind of wondering if somebody, somebody like that would be better off just actually doing you know, contract work versus uh, being employed full time. If that's phasing out, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can talk, talk a little bit to remote work. There has been so much debate and hand wringing over whether you know remote work and the surge in remote work that we saw early on in the pandemic, whether or not that's going to be permanent or go away. Um, I think every every innovation, every trend, kind of has this kind of first kind of um, excitement and then a little bit of a counter reaction and, and eventually stabilizes out somewhere in the middle. Um, so I, I don't think kind of r- remote work um, is ever going to go back to where it was in 2019. It, it is going to be a permanent feature of our economy um, and, and the labor market for, you know, for the whatever, roughly one third of jobs that can be done remotely for much of the past year, it was seen, um, you know, primarily as kind of a thing for very kind of tech or, or knowledge workers or, or finance. Um, but I think it's going to actually spread more broadly to, um, to you know, companies that decide that they can have a team or two, you know, of accountants or, or business planners or, or kind of, you know, parts of their teams kind of be remote. And when you look at the data like that, the amount of time that people spend working they are taking some of their commute savings and, and putting that back in into their jobs. Um, not all of it, but but certainly some of it. So, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll see, continue to see headlines about companies calling their workers um, back and, and um, insisting that workers are back in the office. I think those are headlines because they are um, interesting outliers. Um, eventually, we'll, we'll find our way back to the equilibrium, uh, even before the pandemic. You know, remote work was always an option for for exceptionally uh, talented and skilled and valuable employees who who could get away with that, and it's going to continue being like that. Thank you. That that uh, is very insightful. So I appreciate that feedback. Thank you, Jimena. We have one who's curious to know about how high interest rates need to go before jobs numbers cool off. Um, I think the market has two more point five raises baked in. Do you think that will be enough or are we seeing high fives, low six interest rates in late 2023? I guess really depends on what you mean by by cool off. I think kind of often when we talk about Fed policy um, and kind of market expectations, we use these fuzzy terms um, that are really hard to, to put your finger on. So let me address that first part of the question. What is cool enough? You know, 
let's say a decade ago, we would have said that 200,000 jobs a month was a neutral labor market. That's like a non-inflationary rate of job growth. I think the non-inflationary rate of job growth is lower today than it was you know, a decade ago because we have higher retirements. When you look at Social Security Administration data on the retirement rate and the number of monthly retirements, it's about you know, the, the pace of retirements is about twenty to 25,000 um, retirements a month more than it was in 2019, and about fifty to 60,000 retirements a month more than it was, you know, in, in 2011, 2012. So the pace of retirements has accelerated, at least in the U.S. New immigrant arrivals are kind of lower than they were pre-pandemic. So I think all of those forces are suggesting that we actually need to create fewer jobs to keep the labor market stable than than we than we used to the bad news in that is that means like with the 223,000 jobs that we created in 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 December we're still further from from that goal the fed is not targeting job growth they are targeting inflation and we can't forget that you know they're worried about wage pressure being embedded in inflation and prices um, and with inflation coming down that's i think what we need to be hopeful for as far as kind of the terminal the number of rate hikes that are left, I think, is less important than the terminal rate. And I think whether or not there's 250 basis points or, you know, a 50 basis point and a 25 basis point rate hike over the next couple of, of weeks, I suspect that actually has less to do with, with the wage data and inflation data and has more to do with all the other forces driving consumer price inflation, be it commodity prices, be it energy prices, um, be it kind of um, the inflationary impulse from manufacturing reshoring. I actually don't think when it comes to inflation, um, the labor market, you know, as, as much as we focus on it, I don't think really it's, it is the key at this time. No, this is, this is really helpful. Okay. One of the questions and one of my questions as well is kind of looking into 2023, um, what are your predictions for the tech sector? Um, what do you kind of expect to see um, that job seekers and maybe recruiters should keep in mind for the next coming year? You know, I think kind of for the tech sector, it's going to become a little bit less techy. Um, you know, it's been kind of this exceptional bubble for, for much of the past decade, really the past two decades, you know, because there was this claim that, you know, there was exceptional labor productivity and kind of, you know, you can make these big risky bets. You know, you could invest in long-term initiatives, you know, that were uncertain and higher interest rates are ultimately a cost of risk. And so the cost of risk has gone up, you know, and the cost of risk seems like it's going to stay up for a while. That means there are less of these, these big bets and kind of, I think tech firms are probably going to become, look, look a little bit more like kind of the rest of the economy, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of kind of the, their, their business practices, their hiring and, um, you know, and, and, the, and their compensation. Um, and I think the good news and there's good news and bad news in that, you know, it, it means kind of that other parts of the economy are, are probably going to become a little bit more competitive, a little bit more attractive to job seekers. And that means, you know, there's probably kind of, again, going to this point that I mentioned a little while ago, that there's going to be demand for these worker skills throughout the economy, um, not just in a handful of industries, um, as it has been for, you know, um, you know the, the past decade or so. So that's my big production about, about tech in, in 2023 is that it it's going to become a little bit less less techy. Okay, <laughs> less techy. I like that. So, Aaron, you know, question: Is it a bad time to look for another job, or is it a good time? What would I mean? What What do you think? Thinking about everything you just said. Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is such an important question, and and one kind of that 
that, you know, I think I, I get a lot and really there's no right answer here. It's, it's, you know, I can give you kind of the economist's answer that, that looks at, you know, kind of the costs and different trade-offs and the alternative set that you have. Um, you know, if you look only at kind of the pure uh, math and numbers of it, um, you know, it, it's probably not the best time to, to look for another job. That said, we're human beings, we're not economic models. Um, and it's important to keep in mind that, you know, if your job is making you miserable, you know, if you can't stand your boss, you know, um, you know, if, um, you, you know, you're, you're feeling an itch, it's a good time to look for a job. You know, your job is more than, um, you know, kind of just kind of what you're getting paid. Your job is all, you know, your identity and your well-being, and your health. You know, you can't time the market when it comes to the stock market or kind of, you know, the real estate market. You can't time your life based on what the economy is doing. And, you know, there are more important, bigger reasons to, um, you know, to, to buy a house or start a family or, or switch a job. But, you know, I think that's important to keep in mind at times like this. We're not economic models, we're human beings. I love that answer. Very, um, very honest. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, we have one other question. This person says, um, I've been over or have over 20 years of experience in IT staffing professional services. I build teams of recruiters and sales and also do sales and recruiting myself. Would you have any insight on if the 2023 play moving forward would be more closely aligned to sales roles or recruiting roles? Well, that's, that's an interesting question. You know, um, when you look at kind of going back to where we started and some of the data um, from the jobs report, it does look like temporary staffing services have seen some of the biggest drops in, in employment, whereas kind of sales roles um, have been relatively steady, you know, at a time when, um, you know, businesses are not only looking to control costs, but also kind of, you know, looking for revenue opportunities. You know, my, my instinct would have to be that that sales feels a little bit more um, durable through the business cycle. Hiring tends to be very pro-cyclical. Um, you know, companies hire when when the economy is growing, and then stop hiring when the 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 economy is 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 slowing or contracting. But selling happens, you know, all the time. Absolutely, that makes sense. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for that question. So, you know, we talked a little bit about what you think, you know, we should kind of keep in mind for the coming year. But, you know, looking back on the 2022 labor market, what surprised you? You know, how would you summarize it? Yeah, I think 2022 really is going to go down in history as as the year that the jobs market defied gravity. There were all of these forces, you know, trying to trying to slow it, trying to pull it down, higher interest rates, inflation, con- consumer fatigue, and it just didn't. And I think you know, we have to ask ourselves kind of why, why didn't it? Was it just that, you know, demand was such so much stronger than, than anyone anticipated? You know, I think that's, that's probably not the answer just because, you know, consumer demand was strong, but I think people had, had, you know, expected that to some degree. I really think 2022 was the first act in a longer term kind of labor supply headwinds, you know, in the economy. Kind of, if you look at the demographics, I mentioned retirements, you know, and accelerating retirements a little while. Like kind of if you look at, at the aging of the, the US population, the baby boomer retirement really started to accelerate in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. I just think labor supply is going to be um, structurally a little bit more constrained. And and that means when it comes to the jobs market, um, you know, if if you're looking to hire, probably should be um, you know a little bit less worried about 2023 and a little bit more worried about the years that follow it. Maybe there will be a little bit of a, a softening jobs market early this year, 
But if you look beyond that into 2024 into 2025, it does feel like there are, are all these big headwinds to, lay, to hiring. Um, and, and 2022 is probably the first act of that. That's interesting. Definitely gives us recruiters a lot to think about. Um, one kind of other question um, back to the tech uh, sector, but what indicators or factors would need uh, to finally, or what would need to happen to finally create stability in the tech sector? It is so hard to speak of the tech sector in a single breath because it, it is so many different industries with, with so many different business models. The common thread there, though, is risk. And, you know, and tech tends to be kind of risk forward. It is kind of these longer term uncertain bets about the future. And so I, I think, you know, for, me, for the tech sector to, to rebound, probably you either want to see an indicator that consumer demand is going to be much stronger durably and or you know interest rates kind of are coming down not staying flat um, but actually coming down um, and you know and along with that kind of asset prices starting to increase again um, asset prices you know have been flat to negative over over most of 2022 interesting okay we have someone who said i've been working as a recruiter for 10 years and have been laid off five times across my career is recruiting becoming a career field that offers little to no stability? Yeah, wow, that's a volatile, and I'm you know it, that has to be a tough to have lived through so many different cycles like that. I think kind of recruiting, like many parts of our economy, um, have you know to some degree have always been um, a little bit of boom and bust industries, but business cycle movements do seem like they have been exaggerated the past couple of years because of all the turmoil in the economy, you know, with the pandemic and aftermath, you know, we can certainly be hopeful that a little bit of stability is on the horizon, but, but you, you never know yet. I think kind of the, the reality is like that we're all, you know, um, a little bit subject to, to the boom and bust cycle. There are very few industries that are um, completely immune to it. Healthcare is perhaps, you know, the one um, that stands out as, as kind of largely, um, immune to all of those ups and downs. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you, Aaron. Uh, where can people find you or connect with you, Aaron? Yeah, I, they should certainly follow our research on glassdoor.com slash research. You can sign up to receive new newsletters and updates whenever we, we post uh, new new analysis there. And then you can follow me here on Fishbowl. Um, I, I post occasionally and uh, also on, on any of the other uh, social media platforms like LinkedIn. Um, you, you, you can see my name here in, in, in Fishbowl, Aaron Tarasas. Wonderful. And in case you all weren't able to catch the entire conversation, you can listen to the recording by going back to your me profile. Uh, and if you enjoyed this conversation, please follow us on Fishbowl by clicking our profiles so you'll be notified of future events. Well, thank you all so much again for your time today. I hope you have a wonderful week. And thank you so much again, Aaron. Thank you, Courtney. Thanks, thanks everyone for listening and for your questions. Thanks. Have a great day. That's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to Hardly Working. Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers and who knows, end up here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon.